I give myself some leeway, right? So if my mom offers me, you know, cheese on a cracker, I'm going to eat the cheese on a cracker because it's my mom. I was going right? to say and only for your mom. It's not going to kill me, right? Right? Or you know, I, I somebody says here, taste this. I'm not going to, you know, be the the vegan and say no, don't you know? It's just it's food. You can eat it. It's not going to kill you. It's one bite, right? And for me also tasting, you know, as a chef, I need to know how things taste. So if I'm going to replicate something, I need to taste it so I can replicate it. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, I give myself that leeway. So it's not, um, you know, absolute. And, um, you know, vegans oftentimes are very like absolute. This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. You know, I don't know about you, Court, but I follow quite a few chefs on Instagram. And right about now, uh, I've been seeing a lot of chefs out in the forest foraging for wild mushrooms. And, uh, you know, the great thing about Zupans is they'll save you that trouble. You go right into the market and just pick them right out of the produce section. They've got... It's, it's wild mushroom season, of course, and uh, they've, they've been hunting or they've procured the best from the foragers. And they've got nutty chanterelles, they've got king oysters, beautiful lobster mush mushrooms, and more in store. Just pick them right up there and uh, have yourself a delight. And of course, Court, as you've pointed out before, Zupans also provides the recipes for using those mushrooms on zupans.com. Yeah, I'm looking at this right now. You mentioned the chanterelles. If you like a uh, risotto, they've got this really great chanterelle mushroom risotto. Uh, maybe if you don't know what to do with those king oysters, they've got this really great looking miso glazed king oyster mushrooms. So again, to your point and to my point that I keep on saying, you've got this great local food that Zupans is bringing in, uh, but you might not know what to do with it. They help you out with that as well with great recipes, either on the website or if you saw, subscribe to the news feed, get uh, weekly emails that tells you what's going on as well as provide some, some great recipes. Always a good thing to do. So, Chris, this is pretty exciting. As we all know, when you go to your local Zupan's markets, you can find stuff from all over the place, stuff from all over Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, sometimes stuff, I don't know, from New York City. And when we're talking about stuff, in this case, we're talking about some of the best cheesecake ever, reincarnated, no, re, from Carnegie Deli. And uh, as you may have known in the past, they were known for their incredible pastrami sandwiches and Rubens. And now they've come back and they've introduced Carnegie Deli Cheesecake, you know, right in Manhattan's theater district. It became an iconic spot and now you can enjoy their cheesecake. And I gotta tell you, it looks delicious here on zupans.com looking at, uh, at what they have. So you can order that now. And as we mentioned, pick it up either in store or outside. Three locations to serve you, McAdam, West Burnside, Lake Oswego, and then uh, we can't say this anymore because we've been talking about it. A great website where you can also go and do your shopping, Chris. And what is the website? Zupans.com or, of course, shop.zupans.com.
All right, here it is. Time once again, it's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And I'm Court Johnson from Portland Radio, kink.fm. Court, what time do you get in in the morning? It depends on the day, Chris. Like, uh, I typically, I wake up at about 5.45, 6 o'clock every morning and uh, get my day started. And then I get my daughter's day started and then... At some point, I make my way in. It I, I, it depends. <laughs> it's my long way of saying it's between eight thirty and nine is when I try to get in, into the office. Into the office, and but the traffic is the worst part. is is terrible. Then it at that it point can be. Yeah, I'm 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 there with everybody else, and I you know there's been times where I will delay. I'll take my meetings early from home, and then I'll come in. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't mind st- spending spending time in traffic. It's, you know, I get to listen to music or I listen to podcasts or I, you know, I listen to kink, but so I don't mind it. It's never. I'm with you on that. I, I did the old in and out from Manzanita to Portland for a doctor's appointment yesterday with a couple of uh, little errands and lunch sprinkled in. And I just don't mind the hour and a half or hour and 45 minute, two hour drive once in a while just to listen to some music and think and see that and uh, the trees are beautiful even though it's kind of raining but i don't mind that drive at all and so uh but i i minded it more when it's in traffic right so uh (laughs) it's one thing to to spend time and just be uh frolicking through the woods and it's another braking stopping looking at brake lights yeah i I have a couple of different options in in terms of my drive-in and two two of the different ways involve hopping on a freeway but i actually i avoid the freeway because i found if i just take like barber or 99w from my side out on the west side into downtown at least i'm moving most of the time it'll it'll back up a little bit but nothing bad i it so it's pleasant well you know what Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, you, you brought up something interesting that made me think. I, I would have to assume that with more people working at home, uh, th- they're missing out on that decompression time. Because I used to enjoy that. If you're at work and you're having like a crazy, just stupid day at work, uh, but you have maybe a 20 or 30 minute drive home, it's a good decompression time for you to not to bring home, bring work to home. But when you're working from home, then you've you've got that you don't have that decompression time and i would imagine that you know there might be some frustration from some people that like you know they're instantly walking out of their home office and cooking dinner i mean there's convenience to that but you're also taking just the the really horrible meeting you just got out of or something like that well then but that but then that would lead to one thinking that i must be a powder keg ready to blow because i've been working from home since 1995 well that's so, true, yeah. <laughs> and, and I would not describe you describe you that way. So you've got it figured out. Well, I think so. You know, I always get a kick out of people telling me I'm laid back, which is often the case, and surely the case more now that I don't have children in my home. Um, but uh, but what I was going to say is what one of the things, one of the driving factors, pun intended. Uh, to my move to Oregon was when I saw, uh, you know, I lived in Connecticut um, and drove I-95 in terrible traffic all the time. And uh, I looked at a house in Lake Oswego and I saw that Route 43, that beautiful, just small little drive from Portland out to Lake Oswego. And I thought, this this I can live with. And I did love it 
for years. It's really nice. But once I moved out there, traffic started building. Yeah. So I would imagine it's getting worse now with the growth in the suburbs um, going on. So at any rate, that is a uh, that has nothing to do with anything driving and this podcast today. But, you know, no, these but, are you our know, lives. They are. And people might be driving right now, decompressing from work, listening to right at the fork as they drive home. So it comes full, full circle, Chris. We hope so. And we yeah. hope they can take a moment that the phone is close enough to them that they can subscribe and, I don't know, pull over and write a comment uh, and, and bring us up higher in the ratings so we can keep this thing going. Yeah, we'll, we'll take that. Hey, Chris, I had this thought right, over right. the weekend. Um, I had this thought over the weekend um, as we approach what we're now well over 18, 19 months making our way through this pandemic. Maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I, I, I'm, I, I think we're all praying to God that there, there is. But it has been a while since Portland Food Adventures has had an adventure in Portland. Isn't that the case? It's been since late February uh, 2020, right? That would be it. Yeah. I always get confused with 2019 and 2020 now. So 2019 right. is the year that everything happened as planned. And then 2020 is when everything, all hell broke loose. So our last event was at Alden Wine Bar with uh, Chef Eric Van Clay. And that was really nice. Um, and everything went by the wayside. And I've been just waiting for the right opportunity to relaunch local events. And I will say that back a few months ago, I thought we're ready to go, and then nope, we're not. So um, I'm, uh, I'm, I don't pray, but I'm hoping that the event that we have planned January 15th is, uh, is going to come to fruition. We'll have it up on the Portland Food Adventures website soon, I think in the next week. And I'm excited to be doing an event at the relaunched Andina. And we're bringing Chef Eric Ramirez in from Lama Inn and Lama San in New York City to celebrate Peruvian food. And Chef Alex Diestra's uh, taking the helm at uh, Andina. Um, and that's going to be really exciting. I've been, I actually went to New York to, to those two restaurants to meet Eric and check out uh, what I wasn't familiar with, which was Nikkei Cuisine. And uh, they're going to be doing a little of that at our event, and it uh, should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it, and, um, and we get rocking again. And we're also rocking on our trips, as well as people. We've signed up a few people for, um, for our trip to Italy. We're getting there. I would suggest anybody who's into food who's listening to this podcast go to my Portland Food Adventures uh, Instagram, at Portland Food ADV. And of course, you're going to have to scroll through a couple of dog pictures, but go to the shot of um, Austria Ensign making me the ragu that we had in Tuscany a few years ago. Actually, the recipe from Guido Falaschi. I think that's how you... Falaschi? I don't even know how you pronounce it because I've only seen it in writing. Uh, of the restaurant in San Magnato that we went to... Um, a few years ago it was incredible so that was a little preview of some things we may be doing with zupans in a few months uh to celebrate italian month to bring it full circle back to the podcast um so take a look at that and take a look at portland food adventures to our trips we do have a couple of spots available with urdaneta 
to uh, Spain in the, both the spring and the fall itineraries, but we've got some definite space to Western Sicily in uh, mid-September of 2022. So there's that. And again, check for our event in Andina. Um, in the next couple of months, I plan on having that up by about the 8th or 9th of November, if not before. At any rate, let's get back to the podcast. Let's get back to Portland. And uh, I found it really fascinating. This was one of those guests whom I didn't know prior to inviting on the podcast. And you never know what to expect. Sometimes I'll get someone on the phone to make sure they're going to be a little dynamic. And um, this one I happen to see uh, Tubton Comerford on his Facebook shipping out his first shipment of Buckman brines. Happened to be to Southern California and on the podcast we learn of course that's where he came from and some real fun stuff. Should I list the A-list celebrities that he was friends with in Malibu right now or should we tease it and tell people they need to listen? Well, I think that's a, a, a great tease right there because I my ears perked up, Chris, but uh, I want to listen to the podcast as well. All right. So what do you think? Should I just say who they are or should uh, we force people uh, to listen? They're pretty uh, big celebrities. He was great friends with growing up. And then we talk about whether he's been in touch since. And uh, I had an idea that if one of them heard this, he might be able to finance his TV show that he had ready to go before the uh, before the pandemic hit a tv show where he was going to um, feature plant-based cooking in different cities and uh, that never happened so i'm hoping that one of his uh, friends growing up hears this one of the three any one of the three that he talks about on the podcast one of whom is in my family as well um, i hope they hear it and maybe they uh, they call reconnect with uh, Tubton and um, get him going in another direction. That would be fun. And, yeah. And, yeah, it would be cool. So this was a fun podcast we talked. Uh, it, was, it was both fun and, and fascinating in that there's a lot to this man. And um, he's had a, a lot of experiences. Um, and one of them was um, growing up in a household where he wasn't really accepted as a, a gay man. And he goes into the military as an answer to that. And I thought it was kind of interesting. Why would someone in the, in, you know, years ago decide to go into the military with that being the case? And right. so um, he was very candid about that. So it was an interesting conversation. And uh, I really like this episode. And I hope everyone else does too. This is Tubton Comerford. It's, it's phonetically Thubton, but... He, he's got a, as he explains it, the TH is like Thomas, and the U is like OO, so it's Tubton, Comerford, of Buckman Brines. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. And by... Portland Food Adventures. 
Ready to break out and travel to some of the world's most delicious destinations? Portland Food Adventures has space available on two trips in 2022 to Basque Country in Spain with Chef Javier Canteras of Urdaneta. Also, if you've never experienced Italy with Austria Enzyme, join Chris for the most delicious nine days in Western Sicily imaginable. Info at portlandfoodadventures.com. joining us. I appreciate it. We don't know each other except for perhaps a little bit of exposure on Facebook over the years. So uh, when I saw you were um, doing some pretty cool things with pickles and uh, expanding your business, I thought, well, I didn't really run across you along the way, but I thought it would be a good opportunity to see how you got from there to here. So I appreciate you reaching out. Oh, no, my, oh, my pleasure to have you here. So just to start, you are now, your business, Buckman Brines, is uh, making the best pickles on the planet. Those are my words, but just from I gleaned from your marketing, and you're a marketing guy. You are, pos you are positioned as the best pickles on the planet. Now, here we are in Portland, Oregon, and pickles are an important thing. They were never in my... In, on my radar when I lived in Connecticut. And now we're out here in Portland. So you are the consummate pickle guy. Let's talk a little bit about that and then we'll go backwards from there. All right. So you wait, you want me just to start talking? Yeah, well, I, well, let me ask you this. How does it, so you've been working on, you started in the pandemic or post, well, it's not post pandemic yet. You've been working on this. Uh, I understood in March that you were as far as gift baskets. But now it looks like you've gone full on retail. And so you've got a website to sell your product. And, and I suppose ship it out. That's actually how I saw you was you were doing your first shipment. Yeah, you noticed you noticed my first UPS box. Right. So I, I started I started fermenting um, about 16 years ago. It was in response to um, kind of a health warning from my doctor. I, I seem to get those from time to time and then I I correct I correct I'm right? not gonna I'm not gonna ask you to brief me on that because I'm well aware so it's uh, yeah so I started fermenting then and have been fermenting ever since um, I was doing uh, sauerkraut and kimchi for the most part and then um, you know I had another health uh, urgency about six years ago that had me um, start doing a plant-based um, diet was noticing that there was no um, plant-based television and um, decided to to create a cooking show specifically around plant-based restaurants and plant-based chefs and um, as part of that world I had my supper club which is a Italian Sunday supper feast 100% um, plant-based menu. I did all the cooking. My friends would help serve. We did that about every other month. Um, and uh, the third leg to my cooking show um, TV chef's stool was um, you know, my retail product was uh, fermented foods. I branded my hobby that I've been doing for so long and branded it as Buckman Brines. And so it stayed in that form all the way until um, a few months into lockdown in um, you know early summer 2020 
and all of my other businesses came to a screeching halt, um, including the cooking show and the supper club and everything else. And I was looking around for, you know, do I start something from scratch and, you know, go sell life insurance or something, um, you know, like that, that's a complete, you know, not even just a right turn, just a crazy turn. And, um, or do I take something that I've already created and expand on it? And I had a friend who um, found out that I had some pickles from the previous season, cucumbers stored at uh, Beeline in Southeast and their big uh, walk-in refrigerator. I had three cases in there and he ordered a case, uh, 20 bucks a jar. Um, I delivered that, he loved them, shared them with his friends and family. Um, then uh, I shared about that with another friend. Um, she ordered two cases and then shared about that with another friend. He ordered a case. So I had been, I got wiped out. My entire inventory was wiped out. I had to start making more. I shared about that with another friend. Um, he as a real, is a realtor and asked me if I would package them as uh, in a gift basket and deliver them. And I thought, wow, if that's a real business, you know, working, slogging it out in grocery, it's, that's a lot of, you know, a lot of work, a lot of heartache, very little margin, um, crowded space. And, you know, I, I could really own a space in gifting. Um, whereas there literally, I have not found another, a gifting solution that is uh, fresh fermented, so live culture ferments mm -hmm. um, around. And so that my intent is to be the, um, the Harry and David of fermented foods. And um, so that's the business I started uh, to build. Um, I got a license, moved into a community kitchen in Northeast Portland, out through that in a few weeks, um, and then moved into the space we're in now, which is a pizzeria called Hogan's Goat. Oh, I've been and, there. Uh, it's been a long time, Portland. but uh, that's a it's a good sized kitchen, if I recall. It is, yeah. And they, you know, they don't open for business until four uh, Wednesday through Sunday. Mm -hmm. And so we've got all day Monday and Tuesday. I can be in there doing anything I need, and most mornings I can be in there. So. Um, you know, I buy a certain number of hours every month and um, because the microbes are doing most of the work, um, I don't have to spend much time in there. Um, are they asking for higher wages now, the microbes? Is that, a, is that a, an issue? You know what? Um, they're still at minimum wage. Yeah, they're going to stay there too and you don't have to hear, hear from them either. Yeah. Well, that's good. So um, uh, it's interesting that you started it as a gift business and I actually tried to do that once. And then I found in short time, the good thing is you have everything there in house. I was gathering all sorts of different products to put them in a really beautiful gift box for realtors, actually. And I found it was a, it was a big time consuming job to fill those orders every time and, and make sure things were fresh. I still have some, I still have some two year old or three year old lollipops from Quinn Candy oh, wow. and all that stuff. So. But that's, I think it's a good business if you have a, uh, a client who will always reorder. I think the challenge there, maybe your, your marketing guy is, maybe at some point they want to move in another direction, but I guess you just need to keep feeding the pipeline. Well, the, you know, the good news is that you know, right now, um, the gifting part of the business is just in Portland. So I do um, gift basket delivery 
the homes of businesses and you know that's you know once I, once we saturate the local market then I can start doing um, gift boxes that are shipped and we can start expanding to other cities um, but the the box that you saw go out that I posted on Instagram was uh, an order for Southern California and that was just a regular product order so we're shipping everywhere um, in the US um, how just product. How gratifying was that for you because as I have found out you come from Southern California from Los Angeles area so to do your first shipment down there had to have some satisfaction attached. You know what I absolutely and um, you know I'm, I'm a proud Southern Californian um, you know moved here 12 years ago almost 13 years ago and um, but I've lived all over the country. I left LA um, when I was 25 and I've lived just about everywhere. So the, the, the reason for that, I assume, is because you're in the military. So you were stationed in different spots. That's, that's one way for a, uh, a kid in Southern California to see the world. Absolutely, yeah. I, I joined the, the Navy when I was 19 and um, saw a, a few places. I lived in Chicago uh, or near Chicago for basic training and A school and then Orlando, Florida for nuclear power school and then um, Virginia, uh, Norfolk, Virginia from where my ship was. And um, yeah, it was a short tour but it was eye-opening. So uh, you must have a lot of that information bottled up in your brain about nuclear power that has nowhere to go. What uh, do you are you able to use that uh, other than the fact that you have to be intelligent and so you can embark on life every day with a certain amount of intelligence? But what about the practical knowledge that you have? The well, the practical part, and I, I thought about this quite a bit, um, that I use every day or almost every day often, um, is that there are 2.54 centimeters per inch, and I will remember that forever. So is um, that all anybody needs to know to have something to do with the nuclear power industry? No, but <laughs> it's, you know, we're, you're converting a lot between um, metric and not. And um, yeah, it was uh, being able to convert units to units is also very helpful. So, you know, pound feet per square inch converted to something else. Um, learning how to do that has been actually helpful in the kitchen converting from tablespoons to, you know, gallons, um, you know, comes uh, much more easily because I learned how to do that when I was in school. Well, and then someday you may be converting from gallons to vats, right? To yeah, well, I, pretty soon tanker trucks, you know, full of pickles. Exactly. We can do, and that's, you know, that, that's shipping, you know, if you, if you, if you ship it kind of like how um, Coors, puts all their stuff, all, all the, you know, liquid beer on, um, and they age it on the, on the train cars, on the weight of their bottle. Really? So they, yeah, they send their beer on the train, um, refrigerated train tanks, and uh, they bottle it uh, wherever they're going to be doing the bottling. And that's, uh, I, I hope we get that big. I don't think we're going to get that big. Well, I was going to say that must have been satisfying, I just said, must have been satisfying to ship that package to Southern California. It'd be another thing to drive down the gorge, look to your right, see a train with Buckman Brines uh, and like 40 go. of those cars on there. Pretty soon, right? Yeah. <laughs>
I, 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 I would settle. I would settle for a pickle plant um, next to Tofurky out there. Okay, next to. Oh, okay. Um, well, that would be exciting. And do, do you do you actually think it's uh, you're not going to end up, uh, you know, with forty cars on trains? But is it? Out of the, are you confident enough that you can build a, a business? How many people do you have now? And then, what do you foresee in the next year or two? Well, I've got me, so I, I do most of it, and I have two uh, part-time folks who come in when uh, when there's demand. Um, and yeah, it's been really easy. I, I want to keep it because I want to pay people well. I need to keep it small, um, and so as we grow. Um, you know, I foresee having, you know, maybe in the next year, uh, a couple full-time folks, but, um, yeah, I just, uh, I'm, I, I need to take most of it on my shoulders so I can pay people well enough to, to make a commitment. Right. Well, there's that balance too, because you could, I'm no expert, but if you're going to get to the point where you need to start hiring people, then it's not so simple. And then complications come up with, you know, wage issues and, all sorts of payroll issues that you don't have right now. So um, you're going to have, at some point, you'll probably hit that point where that pleasantness of being small is just wafted away. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, ho hopefully it'll be, you know, all, all of that extra, you know, suffering will be, um, Will be handled by all the revenue coming in to make it all possible. Right. So yes, you'll be vacationing to the spots around the world that you enjoyed the most. What would those be? Oh wow! Like vacation for me? Yeah. What's um, a good vacation? I mean, would it be based on where you were stationed in the military, or have you done quite a bit of other travel outside of that uh, as you've you know as you've gotten older? And then I want to ask how you landed in Portland. What got you here? Sure. Well, you know, the most of my travel has been um, in Asia, and that was when I was uh, a Buddhist monk, and um, we visited uh, Japan, Singapore, Thailand, um, Hong Kong, India, Nepal, and um, you know, some beautiful, beautiful places. I don't know that I would be vacation there for me my you know my thoughts have turned a lot more culinary in the last several years and so you know going to food centers i'd love to you know spend a few months in europe um a lot of that in italy and um you know italian flavors have always been attractive to me have you traveled much in italy i've just been i, I went to a conference in rome mm -hmm. um maybe six years ago, eight years ago, something like that, and hardly left the, ho the neighborhood around the hotel. But the food right there, we were, we were right up against the, the back wall of Vatican City. Mm -hmm. And uh, the restaurants in that neighborhood were just amazing. And um, yeah, I would love to to go on a colon, be a culinary tourist, which I have not done yet. Gee, I'll have to find somebody who does that, especially in Italy. I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine who might be going to Western Sicily anytime soon. Yeah, we are. And uh, that'd be great. <laughs> Actually, I'm not, I, I was, that would be fantastic. We'd love to have you join us and whomever you know. But uh, what, where my mind was going with that is if you have a, um, you know, if you have a large following of plant-based Italian lover, food lovers, we could, you know, we could put something together or make it an adjunct to 
one of our trips and uh, we, we that would be fun yeah that would be that would be a, a blast and of course you know nowadays uh, plant-based food is not as unusual as it was 10 years ago perhaps every everybody's accepted it and people like me are wishing I could just jump in uh, with a little more uh, vigor than I have into plant-based uh, food I'm going to have to I told my girlfriend this weekend the day will come where all the sugar goes away and I'm gonna have to do this and I'm sure that is probably related to where you were health-wise when your doctor talked to you and, and forced you into it um, do you feel that's a, that's an interesting place to be do you any longer feel I don't know if you ever felt forced into it, but obviously you were eating differently if you had a lot of, you know, some weight to lose and issues that the doctor was talking to you about. Do you, are you really comfortable with plant-based um, food now? I am. And, you know, the, for me, um, I don't use the word vegan, although vegans can eat the food that I eat. Um, you know, veganism, at least as it relates to food, is about what you're not eating. Um, versus what you are. So, you know, I could eat a tub of Crisco and I'm vegan, but it's not good for me. Um, you know, I could eat, you know, a bunch of sugar and white flour and refined, you know, just garbage. Um, and it's not going to help my health, but I'm technically vegan. Whereas plant-based eating is about eating whole foods um, as, you know, little refined, little refining as possible. Um, and you know that's how that's how i cook for my supper clubs everything is um you know local organic or if it's from you know somewhere else like we get our flour um, from verified uh, millers in italy that are using italian wheat um you know there's a whole anyway I, we don't need to go into how every, everything is counterfeitable um but um you know you just gotta be as um as discerning as you can and Everybody has a different, um, you know, different palate and different uh, financial abilities, and um, you know, just doing the best you can with what you have is, um, you know, is the answer. For me, I've dropped seventy pounds. Oh, congratulations! Um, That's uh... my thank you. My you know, my blood pressure is um, normal or below normal. Um, you know, my blood sugar is normal or below normal, um, and um, you know, I. I don't have arthritis anymore. My, I mean, it's just my my whole health outlook has completely turned around, and um, you know it takes some discipline. But I don't see, be, because it's prime. I'm primarily plant based. I've done some math around it, and it's like ninety nine point nine seven percent plant based. Oh no! Well, but at I, least someday, maybe but you I can get specific someday and just not estimate it. Well, and it's just the <laughs> you know I I. I give myself some leeway, right? So if my mom offers me, you know, cheese on a cracker, I'm going to eat the cheese on a cracker because it's my mom. I was going right? to say, and only was, for your mom. It's not going to kill me, right? right? Or, you know, I, I somebody says, here, taste this. I'm not going to, you know, be the, the vegan and say, no, no, you know, it's just, it's food. You can eat it. It's not going to kill you. It's one bite, right? And for me also tasting, you know, as a chef, I need to know how things taste. So if I'm going to replicate something, I need to taste it so I can replicate it. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, I give myself that leeway. So it's not, um, you know, absolute. And, um, 
you know, vegans oftentimes are very like absolute. Yeah, no, and it's, I have to say, it's always refreshing to have someone who's flexible in that, in that realm. And I also appreciate the, um, defining the difference between plant-based and veganism, because I've noticed, uh, it could just be me, but I've noticed that we hear the term plant-based a lot more now than in the past. And I'm wondering if veganism has, carries a certain uh, association with it that the plant-based doesn't, and there's a little slightly more positive, it's hard to hate plants, right? There's a lot of political baggage that comes along with the word vegan. Right. And you know, when I, when I started working on developing my cooking show, I was very cognizant of that. And um, you know, we always describe what we were doing as a plant-based cooking show. Oh, great! So I, I diverted you, which I am, uh, which I tend to do. But I was asking you where you would like, if you have, as soon as you have those um, trains running down the tracks, where is it that you'd like to buy a ticket to and enjoy? And that may not even be. Um, just vacationing, it could be a move. You know, there was a time when I thought people leaving Portland were crazy. I no longer, I can completely understand it now. So is that something that's in the cards? Very possibly. Um, I'm, I would uh, love to spend some time in Mexico. I have, I have friends who live all over um, Mexico, um, Ecuador. I, I even, I looked at Uruguay a few years ago, um, Uruguay is an amazing country, and um, you know I would consider moving there. Montevideo is gorgeous, and um, they have a thriving plant-based food scene there. Um, yeah, so Central um, South America. Um, I don't know that I would make a move to Europe. I definitely could. Um, I'm in love with with Ireland and Scotland. Um, having never been there. But, is that where your roots you know, are from? I'm just guessing based on your last name. Um, yeah, so uh, my last name yeah, is, it's it's Norman, um, but made it to Ireland over the, you know, the preceding thousand years. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, but it's a French name. Um, apparently there was a lieutenant in King William's, or William the Conqueror's army who came over from France and then, uh, you know, served the, the royal house for hundreds and hundreds of years and made it over to Ireland. Um, yeah, so I've, I've, I've been spending a lot of time on Ancestry.com. <laughs> oh, good. Well, as as people can do on the during a pandemic, that's that's a good pastime during a pandemic. Um, so that being said, let's get a little closer. What, what did your father do? You grew up in... Um, did you say in Malibu, or is that where you grew up? I grew up, yeah, I grew up in Malibu. Um, I was um, adopted at birth, mm -hmm. and so the family that adopted me um, was a couple um, who I was their first child, and they bought a house right before I arrived in Malibu, which at the time was just the next suburb out from Los Angeles. It wasn't, you know, he, um, she had been a, a school teacher, elementary school teacher, and um, he was an insurance broker, and you know it was a very normal neighborhood, just uh, just at the southern tip of you know what would become the city of Malibu, and um, 
yeah so that was um you know growing up there it was very um quiet um i'm guessing you know, we're talking that, 70s and 80s is that right six, well it's 1965. oh um, when you were born is that when i was born oh, yeah okay. and then yeah so growing up yeah, so you know, it was the center of skateboarding. Yeah, you know, that whole culture. Um, the neighborhood that I lived in was called Sunset Mesa, mm -hmm. which is built up on a hill above the Getty Museum, um, and it was skateboarders' paradise. It was just this big hill, and you know, the kids would skateboard down and then hitchhike, um, you know, with neighbors up to the top of the hill and come back down. And that um, was the. I bet you that was the advent of. You know, we did skateboarding in the '60s, but. California is probably where it took off, not Connecticut. Not Connecticut. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was a great place to grow up. You know, we surfed. I spent most uh, summers on the beach. You know, my school photos um, were always, you know, very light blonde hair. Um, you know, just because I spent the entire summer, you know, playing volleyball on the beach. And um, someone's got to do was, it. Uh, somebody, yeah. I wish I, you know. It, it was, you know, looking back, it was just, uh, and I, just an crazily awesome uh, childhood that I wish um, I had appreciated more while I was there. I think a lot of people have that experience, um, you know, just looking back at their at their childhood. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I grew up. My um, best friend in junior high school was uh, Charlie Sheen. Um, I made Super 8 movies with him and Chris Penn, Sean Penn's younger brother. Um, played football with Dean Kane. Um, ran against Rob Lowe for the parliamentarian of the student body. <laughs> I, I, I'm just uh, my my mouth is going just waiting to to chime in here and yeah. ask what you know, what has gone through your mind as you've watched Charlie Sheen in the media over the years. Um, you know, it's strange to see your best friend going through that. And uh, do you still keep in touch? It was, you know, it was really rough. Um, the last communication, direct communication I had with him was when I was in uh, in Navy boot camp. I had, he was <clears throat> one of the last people I said goodbye to out at um, his parents' home on Point Doom. And, um, you know, we wrote, uh, we corresponded a little bit. Um, but then he made Platoon and, you know, you get paid a million bucks when you're 19 years old, your life changes. And, um, you know, after that, he was, um, you know, he just, I guess, he, I'm sure he left all of his friends behind, um, or most of them. But um, yeah, I, I was in last communication I had um, with his family was his, his mother would have been two year 2000 or so. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a fundraiser for an AIDS um, treatment and, um, she sent me a, a script from the West Wing to auction. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I... Do you remember what you got for it? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. But it was, you know, the, the watching him um, on screen and actually watching a lot of, you know, seeing my friends, um, you know, from school on the screen actually helped me, you know, feel more at home when I go to the movies, I could see my friends doing well. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, you know that that was exciting to me. Um, but um, you know, watching him go through all the things that he went through. You know, I also watched Robert Downey Jr. 
um, go through his stuff. So we um, have a connection there. Robert Downey Jr. is my first cousins, and I don't have a lot of cousins. First cousin, oh, wow. first cousin. So he, the aunt that was around when I was a kid was his aunt. So, uh, okay. and I'm still friends with, uh, with one of the Downies, and of course I'm tight with a cousin too. So um, anyway. Sweet, yeah. yeah. No one listened in, but it's nice to have that, that connection too. I saw him at a wedding, oh my God, years ago, I think. But I, he wasn't anybody yet, so I, you, I wasn't noting that it was one of, there were quite a few Downies, mostly his father and uncles and so forth. But at any rate, that must be, that must be really cool um, to, and, and by the way, do you avoid bringing that up whenever anybody mentions Robert Downey Jr.? Because they do a lot. I, no. Yeah, not at all. So, you know, when, um, you know, Rob, Rob Lowe, um, you know, had his blowout after the 88 <laughs> Democratic convention. Maybe right? you were the bad influence. I might, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am the, yeah, I am, I am the common element. All <laughs> right. So, you know, watching Rob go through what he went through and completely resurrecting his career, you know, he's been clean and sober for, I don't know what it is, like 30 some years now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, great example. And then, you know, watching Robert go through what he was going through, um, you know, I, my heart went out to him. You know, I got clean and sober in um, July of 87. And um, so that was you know, before Rob he was, had to, that was before he was going through. Right. And then, you know, Rob was, you know, 1990 something, right. maybe 1989. And then, you know, Robert was going through his stuff in the late 90s. And I, I don't remember how much time he's got now, maybe five years, something like that. Um, probably more. And then Charlie, you know, I, you know, get happy for him when he gets clean and then, you know, he crashes and burns, you know, relapses, um, not to be un, you know, not to be unexpected, but, um, it looks like he's still trying, you know, his brother Ramon, I think is clean and sober. I know his father's clean. I mean, just like the whole family is in the program. Um, <laughs> it's, but it was Malibu, man. What a, that it was, yeah, so. you know, and, um, you know, it was, uh, an interesting place to grow up and, um, you know, my, my own, um, alcohol use started when I was 13 and, um, you know, I get that. I, I, yeah, you know, I got sober, um, when I was held, was I? So I want to, let's, let's come back and talk about leaving LA. <laughs> Um, but before we do that, I, we just want to, I think it's a good time to take a little break here and we'll come back and talk about why you left LA, which by the way, uh, you were probably too early to get to the Whiskey A Go-Go, but I was the stage manager there in 1978 and I lived in Topanga. So you and I didn't live too far from each other. Not too then. Far. Now, and here we are again. All right, let's, let's come back and be back again in a, in a moment. Hey, Chris, let's pause just a moment and talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Yeah, where they've always had your safety in mind. Uh, of course, they have those beautiful updated booths and spent a lot of money on their ventilation system to update it to current standards and beyond. Um, so whether it's their delightful outdoor dining or inside, you can always enjoy Ringside Hospitality knowing their steps ahead when it comes to safely serving you a fantastic experience. And of course, ringside always satisfies Chris. So if you've got something like, I don't know, A5 Wagyu, maybe that's your thing. 
you can come and enjoy it at Ringside Steakhouse. Yeah, so no matter what the size group, whether you're just going to go dine as a romantic evening with two, some friends and family with four, or if you'd like a setting for a small group gathering, Ringside, of course, can put that together for you too safely. Reservations are super easy to do. You just go to the Open Table app or ringsidesteakhouse.com, make that reservation, or you can actually walk in without a reservation for bar top seating. Yeah, Ringside for over 75 years. 75! Standing mm-hmm. tall as the hallmark of great service and steaks in Portland. All right, we're here with Tupton Comerford of uh, Buckman Brines. How does that sound to you? You know, it's interesting being associated with something that's new that 10 years ago you didn't even know would be happening. How does that, how does that sound to you to be, that's your thing? I like it. You know, I, I'm, I'm excited to be, um, you know, part of a, a, a Portland food brand. Um, you know, when I named, um, when I branded the product, um, which was long before the company, you know, I, I branded it because I expected to be in the, in the Buckman neighborhood for the, you know, foreseeable future. And, um, you know, since then I, I've moved up to Vancouver and, um, you know, but I, kept the name. I really, I love that neighborhood. Um, a lot of good memories. I'm down there quite a bit. I mean, I'm, I'm in Portland probably three or four days a week. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like, you know, I'm gone. Well, also uh, Vancouver is sort of, you think of it as Portland also. It's a Portland metro area. Exactly. You know, and um, it's, it's a, it's a great place to live. And, um, you know, allows me to afford to be, um, and it, you know, adventurous with my business, whereas in, you know, Portland, cost of living was just so crazy. Um, I don't know if I would have been able to, to start this business down there. Or And you wouldn't have been able to start it in Malibu, for sure. Definitely not Malibu. <laughs> so let's go back to Malibu and your childhood, and let's talk a little bit about, you know, I, I think it was um, interesting to hear that you just, you look back at your childhood with great fondness. But that had to that uh, apparently changed at some point. Home life wasn't agreeing with you. How's that? And uh, you know, time came. Uh, I guess I can lead you into it because I know. Yeah. But time came to come out, and um, I guess things weren't going the way you wanted to go. And I'm just curious as to how you, uh, someone who was coming out as gay and and struggling, not to top line what you were about to say, but would make their way into the military as a solution in those years by the way yeah this isn't now yeah well you know just being at home um was difficult you know my family um from where i was sitting seemed to be having a hard time um dealing with um with my being gay and you know being gay at that time in the you know in that culture was um not as you know awesome as it is now i guess um you know coming out today is a little bit easier it's never easy but it's definitely easier than it was in the 70s and um you know for me um i i could not see myself staying at home um and i didn't have any marketable skills that i could think of and um you know the military seemed to be a way to have a place to live, learn something. Um, you know, I, I intended to be a 
you know, they called him a you know, lifer dog. I intended to you know, retire from the military and, um, you know, be there for a long time. Um, and that didn't turn out, but, um, you know, my being, um, sexually active was a hard, uh, was difficult in the military. Um, you know, people are always noticing, um, differences and, um, you know, I was, um, harassed quite a bit and, um, you know, I just decided that, um, it was, it was not a good place for me to stay. And that must have um, been really frustrating for you because you went there to find a good place to stay and everything at that point when you realized it was uncomfortable. And so, and again, you pointed it out, this was not 2020. This was in the late 70s. And I will say, I can't, I can't project, I don't know, but I, I would say if you're going to be, you know, ha if you're going to deal with that, California would have been the place, but this points out that it still wasn't easy. Um, it still wasn't easy in California in those years. But, you know, I spent a lot of time on Sunset Boulevard and uh, around Hollywood. So it was, it was the first uh, this Connecticut kid had been exposed to a lot of that when I came to California. So I don't mean to sound ignorant about it. I just, you know, that California was my first exposure to gay people, to, you know, being people being out. It was, yeah, once um, I spent a lot of time in, in West Hollywood and Hollywood um, as I was coming out and, um, you know, it made it a lot easier just to be yourself um, there. But um, yeah, just, you know, I still had to come home and, you know, deal with being at home. Um, you know, one of the solutions was to get my own place. And, you know, that helped, that helped a lot. And it was, you know, in my own place in Santa, you know, rent control department in Santa Monica um, that I was able to, you know, come out, be myself, get a job, um, you know, be active in the theater, start, you know, doing, going on auditions. Um, you know, I finally decided I was, I, I was comfortable being in front of the camera or on a stage, um, you know, growing up with the people who became, you know, all the names I listed, um, you know, I reached into that community and found, you know, a great acting coach and um, did my best to, um, you know, to, to get cast in things. And, you know, the challenge then was that da dad bods were not a thing. And, um, you know, I was, a I had a dad bod at, you know, early, in my early twenties. And, um, you know, I was told by my agent that, you know, I either needed to gain weight or lose weight, but he couldn't catch God, that's such a fucking um, California thing. That's what I heard from, you know, people close to me and not, although when I was there, I was the thinnest I ever was, but the people from California are always the people who would mention that same thing to me. Um, and it's, anyway, I wonder if it's still going on, probably. But I'm I'm sorry you dealt with that. You had a lot. You had a lot of pressure on you. It led, you know, it it when I um, I decided to to give up on that dream. You know, there, there are people who have to be actors. They those are the people who will you know be the bartender for twenty years until they get discovered. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's that wasn't me. You know, I didn't have that burning desire. I really liked it. I enjoy being, you know, on stage and in front of an audience and I, I feel comfortable there, but I didn't have to do it. And, um, 
when the opportunity came to move to Silicon Valley and, and go into uh, computers, I I took it. I, I'd been using computers since I was 13, you know, late 70s, and it was fascinating to me. And so I moved to San Jose and uh, got a job at Samsung and then Apple. Oh, wow. Uh, Samsung Net, before Netcom. Samsung was really Samsung. Well, it was. it's their R&D division, so they, they make their own... Um, Silicon uh, right, but they don't nobody in the Silicon Valley is where they are today is terms of the companies that are known exactly. it's all, You know you could have made your way into a, a garage right over what was it mountain mountain view mountain view. Yeah um, Well, that's interesting. So do you and you get to use that now and I noticed you know you we, uh, We'll talk about it, but you wanted to start a uh, culinary TV show. So that brings back a little of what you learned as a kid. And uh, I'm getting the I'm getting the picture that you're you've you've put all this in a pot, stirred it a little bit, and there you are today, right? You're using a little bit of everything from the past. Well I, yeah, I absolutely use what I've learned, you know, previous um, previous jobs, previous education experiences. Um, you know, I had my social media marketing company for 10 years and built other people's brands um, using social media. And so I knew when I wanted to go into um, my cooking show, I needed to rebrand myself as a chef and start you know, taking actions and doing things that um, you know, a chef would be doing. And you know, it's not inauthentic in any way, it's just people didn't know me as that. And so I needed to focus on the things that I was doing that um, that people would associate with something that chefs do. And so, you know, that was what I was posting, um, on my social media. And, you know, as I was developing the show and bringing on team members, um, you know, that's the, that was the overriding theme was, um, you know, Tupton is a, is a chef. And how did that, what, what happened to that? I, that's something I would imagine during a pandemic you could do. So what happened to the show? Well, we you know, we had um, we had shot the proto pilot. Um, I put together my team. Um, we had shot the proto pilot um, just to to make sure that you know basically like a screen test, right? So I was like, am I how am I as good as I think I am in front of the camera? You know, we had um, a camera person was uh, shoots for HGTV. Um, House Hunters and a bunch of other programs. Um, he did a great job, um, and you know, I I felt comfortable. I looked comfortable, um, and so we knew that it was uh, it was something that we could do with me as the as the host and the chef. Um, and there's the financial and, component, though. That's expensive to to shoot. Oh, absolutely. Show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the you know the bu the budget for the pilot was seventy five thousand oh, yeah. dollars, and that was gonna, the budget for the, every episode was going to be seventy five grand. Mm -hmm. And um, so we had uh, gotten to the point where we were ready to to shoot it. We'd scheduled um, the pilot to be shot um, at the end of March of twenty twenty. That obviously didn't happen. Um, and you know, I decided pretty early actually um, to at least shelve it until you know all the dust settled because I saw the, the upheaval and upset in the restaurant world. It was a very restaurant uh, chef focused show. Did you have guests on from Portland? Did you, have, did you feature some guest chefs from Portland who did plant-based cooking? In the, 
I, it was, um, yeah, well, the, in, the, in the prototype, we used uh, uh, Cyrus Ichiza from Ichiza Kitchen. Mm -hmm. um, and um, he, um, yeah, he's a plate-based chef. And we were going to focus not so much on plant-based chefs, but on plant-based cooking done by regular chefs. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I had, I had a whole I had a whole lineup, including you know Kathy Wims. Um, my I talked briefly with Vitaly Paley to see if he'd be interested. He expressed some interest. I wanted to get Greg Greg Higgins, um, and um, yeah, but you, we had not. You were going to the heavyweights. Right off the bat. Well, and that's the thing, right? And that's yeah, that's the you know, I wanted something that was that was going to be on Netflix, right? And you know, I knew that if um, we would do one season per city, and so I wanted to showcase what Portland could do. You know, the premise of the show was that you know, I visited a restaurant, regular restaurant, asked for a plant-based special. Um, the chef whipped up something amazing. I asked the chef to come over to my house to teach me how to make it in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we would, that would be the first segment and we go to a farm and learn about some awesome produce, uh, manufacturer and learn about some, you know, like umi noodles or oda tofu or something like that. And then uh, we would come back to my kitchen and I would demonstrate um, the rest of the meal using something I learned from the chef, that produce and that ingredient. And uh, you know, I tested it several times. The most memorable one was going to um, urban farmer and one of the investors in the show you know thought that would be a nice place to take me but it's urban animal farm right. you know <laughs> very meat focused uh menu and so we thought hey here's a great you know let's test the premise of the show and so i asked for a plant-based special and the chef came out and described something and i said that's amazing let's do it and um he came out with a awesome uh mushroom risotto and um you know, I, I knew that there was something, I knew that there was something there. What I wanted to focus on was the flexibility of chefs and restaurants to meet the needs of um, patrons as they're expressed. And I, so I wanted to train patrons to ask for it if they wanted it. And I also wanted to train the chefs to expect it. Um, and I, if I they don't add it to their menu. I boot camp on that in Portland. Oh I'm, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. To at least to expect it and be ready. You know, basically it's a chopped episode in their own kitchen, right? And right. if they have the time, um, you know, to be creative, then they can be creative. But um, I just wanted to, to help it be easier for people to order and help it, you know, be easier for, for chefs to to provide what's being asked for. And, um, you know, the, the viewer that I was going after was, you know, uh, I don't know like Joe Sixpack, right? So... Somebody who um, you know doesn't have uh, the opportunity here, like we do in Portland, to um, to have to, to have a bunch of plant-based restaurants, mm -hmm. like be able to go to a restaurant that they usually go to and ask for something that meets their needs, which means they can patronize, they can still you know eat at the place where their friends are eating, um, you know, without putting too much of a cramp in people's style. Yeah, that makes a lot but, of sense um, to teach them that if the chef isn't aware to what to ask for that they could possibly prepare. That makes a lot of sense, especially, yeah, I was asked the question before of thinking of Portland, you're thinking of Omaha, maybe, but but yeah, that, that doesn't exist there. 
Well, then, and then the next, you know, then we would go to the next city and I would do, you know, 13 episodes with 13 different chefs and 13 different farmers and 13 different, you know, manufacturers in that locality. And, um, you know, eventually, you know, we would go outside the U.S. I had a very early inquiry from a television network in India who wanted me to come to India to do at least one season there. Um, and so it's... Uh, the the wave the wave hasn't broken yet, but it's definitely rising. Mm -hmm. You know the plant based plant based uh, wave. Um, you know I listened to your your episode with um, Homegrown Smoker. Oh, and, I was going to um, ask you about Jeff. He's a he's a childhood friend of mine. Jeff. One of my Jeff right about one of my favorite places to eat. Um, you know I enjoyed you know dropping a hundred or two hundred bucks on on a, on a takeaway um, order. And you know, have have dinner for a few days when I got home. Um, you know, and um, yeah, he's. It was great to hear his story. I appreciate your doing the podcast. Um, really intriguing. We have two of them person. with him. The he was like the fifth episode too. If you go way back, I haven't listened to that one. I listened to the more recent. All right. One. Well, I'm glad you did because I was going to bring Jeff up, but I've learned after doing this podcast for eight years, don't always ask a question you don't know the answer to, and could leave you sitting there. Maybe you don't have a great relationship with Jeff or you don't know of him. So that's great. I'm glad uh, you heard about Jeff, Jeff Ryderbuck. And uh, you know, he's a hardworking guy, man. The guy isn't young. I hate to say that because he's about my age, but uh, it hasn't been an easy go for him, but he's doing well. Uh, I think the restaurant seems to be doing pretty well. Um, what are, so while we're there, I do want to at some point go back to what brought you to Portland. I think that was the one piece of unfinished business that we had. We're not going in a straight line here, but uh, as long as we're there and you're talking about homegrown smoker, let us know what some of the other, uh, some of your other favorites are, vegan or, or vegan or not, or plant-based or not. Sure. Um, plant-based poppy is, uh, is amazing. I can't wait till they um, are settled in their um their new space um next door mama Dut is awesome she was in that first community kitchen that i was in mm -hmm. um just getting started and you know her pork belly was addicting i would you know buy five slabs of that um pretty regularly it's good stuff and then um you know that whole block is turning into a plant-based block you've got fermenter around the corner um, yeah, I've been a big fan of Aaron Adams um, mm -hmm. since you know, he opened Farm Spirit, and um, you know those are three um, right there. Um, definitely homegrown smoker, um, and then uh, you know not plant based would be right across the street would be um, Nostrana. Kathy Wims is amazing. Um, oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, yeah, I, it's uh, brain freeze in Portland. It's like you you can't. There's so many you can't think of any. It's um you know I uh, before I went plant based there were even more, um, but um, you know it's just uh, so many amazing amazing opportunities. Something that's been really frustrating to me is I I don't know why people can't come across the river. Like why can't Vancouver have more? really good food. But don't you think that's no on reason. the that's on the way? I mean, everybody's not everybody, but so many are moving out to Beaverton, so they're going west. They're going down I to Lake Oswego. Well, I hope I hope the chefs come over here or, or at least the established um, 
you know, awesome places in Portland, open locations in Vancouver. I think that's probably going to be an easier way to do it. Um, well, you know what? I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen with some of the younger chefs who find it easier to live over there and they don't want to do the commute and it's going to happen organically that way because uh, and that segues perfectly it makes me look like a genius here it segues perfectly into why we have so many great chefs in portland to begin with because they couldn't afford san francisco and california they came up here and so i think maybe the same thing might in a smaller way happen with Vancouver, where you've got chefs over there who would like to like to be closer to home. We're at a point in time where people would like to have a higher quality of life. So that it includes that. So that being said, what was it that brought you to Portland? When um, you know, I was living, I was in Denver for 10 years before coming here. And um, I had lived most places around the country. My time in Denver just was up. Like I was like, I'm done. I'm cooked. Um, you know, I, it's funny. I, I had been in different cities, but generally never longer than 10 years. And, um, so, you know, 10 years was up in, in Denver and I started looking, um, at cool places I would want to live. And one was, um, Portland, Maine. Um, another was Portland, Oregon. And another on that list would be Austin, Texas, and Boulder, Colorado. And Boulder was, you know, way too close to Denver. Like for me, that is Denver. For Boulder people, they say they're not Denver. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, they're basically Denver. And um, so that was a little too close. Austin, um, no matter how thick the bubble is around the city, um, it's still in Texas. And um, then uh, Portland, Maine. I had lived in um, the, I guess, yeah, I, I, I had experienced an East Coast winter. I had not lived in New England, but I lived in Northern Virginia and um, it was cold. Yeah, and that's and not even, it. that's not even it. You're still in Virginia. Yeah. So, yeah. and I was going to say, anybody from Southern California is going to have a tough time in Portland, Maine, I think. Not everybody, but the weather. I've learned, you know, this whole how Californians adapt to Portland or don't adapt to Portland, uh, Oregon. So it's a whole nother thing. For me, coming here from Connecticut, which is like halfway between Virginia and Maine, I don't, these winters mean nothing to me. There's, I, they're easy. Although things are changing, that, that, that's true, but I don't know if you could have done that. So the, you know, I'd been in all those places and each one had, you know, their, their benefits, but I really wasn't, you know, willing to, or interested in, um, you know, realizing what a, a real freeze was. I had, I had spent a winter, um, in, uh, in Vermont mm -hmm. and that was enough. I was like, okay, you know, I get this. I might, you know, it, it would need to have more, I would need to have more of a reason to be there. Right. I could be there. And, you know, the, but I was looking for the feel, like the feel of the community and, and the feel of Portland, Maine is very similar. It's a lot smaller than Portland, Oregon, right. but it, you know, there's very crunchy people there and, um, you know, there's water and there's trees and, um, you know, people are friendly and, you know, but I had visited here in Portland, Oregon for, uh, on a job interview in um oh my god what was that 19 
96. And um, different city than when I, you moved here in 2012. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the Pearl hadn't been. I don't think they broke ground on the stuff from the Pearl yet. But um, you know, people were very nice, and I was walking around, and you know, I ended up taking a job at America Online, moving all the way back to Virginia instead of coming here. But um, you know, I had interviewed at the local um, Teleport and RainNet uh, local ISPs, and I was walking around. It was in May. Sky was blue, it was warm, people were happy, you know, it's just amazing. And people told me, they see the, you know, glimmer in my eyes, like, don't move here because of this. You know, as soon as you move here, it'll change. Don't, you know, it's like, don't move here for the weather because it's different. And, um, yeah, and I, I get what they mean, you know. I moved here, when I first moved here uh, from Denver, which is a very sunny city. It, mm -hmm. it, it vies with um, you know, Phoenix for number of sunny days, and um, you know coming coming here, I changed all the the light bulbs out with full spectrum. You know, I was I did everything. I was taking my vitamin D. <laughs> um, you know, I did everything I could, and um, it helped in the beginning. And eventually, I just I found that I really don't need it. You know, I mean February and March are rough, um, but um, you know I can hunker down if you i just learned how to sleep more yeah but also and, just you know, if you start feeling with february and march are rough just turn on the weather just go online and check out the weather in portland maine and then yeah right <laughs> the winters here are nothing right right they're really nothing and um you know i i i don't mind the overcast and actually it's funny when you know when i i made the decision to come here um it's when I realized that the weather that I liked most in Denver was overcast, misty, chilly, and, you know, we had lots of those days. It's like, well, you know, that's what it's going to be up in Portland all the time, so let's go. Um, you know, it's a little better than I was expecting. Um, you know, the way the ice forms on the road is scary, and I respect locals who drive slowly because it's different than anywhere else where the road freezes. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Um, you know, as long as you're you're not a crazy driver, you'll be okay. Oh well, I'm I'm going to stay away from that one. Anybody who listens to the podcast <laughs> know that as an East Coast driver in in Oregon, I, I'm going to stay away from that. But but I've chilled out, so I, I'm I'm sure you have too. You yeah, you grew up in Southern California driving too. That wasn't calm and collected. Either. Oh no, I get bored. It was battle. <laughs> exactly. It was great. Well, when when the traffic wasn't going, you know, half a mile an hour, right? But um, yeah. which is most of the time, and it's worse now than it was then, which is hard to believe. So, let talk a little bit about where we find you uh, on the web, and how we find you on Instagram, and how people order. And oh, just very quickly, what people would find on your online store right now that they would would be the first thing they should order because they would love it so much they would tell all their friends i i really like that so um buckmanbrines.com um b-u-c-k-m-a-n-b-r-i-n-e-s.com is is where you find us um the the most popular item right now is our cowboy candy um which is the candied jalapenos um, made in a apple cider vinegar and sugar brine. Um, use organic apple cider vinegar, organic sugar, um, some spices, and those are all 
cook together um, and they're just amazing on um, like cream cheese and a cracker. Um, it's the way I like to eat them. But um, yeah, those are probably the, I, the, it's the one I hear the most about. The second um, would be the Little Ass Kickers, which are smaller cucumbers um, that are spiced with um, cayenne from Ayers Creek Farm out in Gaston. Um, and um, yeah, those are probably the most two, pop two most popular. I didn't intend to be spicy with everything, but probably two thirds or three quarters of my offerings are, are spicy. And how spicy would that be? Because some of us are, are we can handle a certain threshold. Probably one, yeah, probably, probably one to two um, flames out of five. No, that's okay. Um, that, at the most, it, yeah. It's, so you, it's not, my intent is not to, you know, make people's mouths burn. Right, it's definitely to enhance the flavor. Um, I've got a pumpkin pepper sauce um, that I made with pumpkins um, that I had left over after last, you know, last fall. Decorative pumpkins, pie pumpkins, um, and I roasted those and then mixed them with um, jalapenos and some other peppers. And those are that's probably one and a half flames out of five. And um, yeah, that's a popular item. I'm just I'm just switching. The biggest, the biggest challenge for me in the <clears throat> in the pandemic with starting this company was that I had been all in on mason jars, and Ooh, that was part so of our hard. brand, and that was right. And so the last mason jars I could get were you know Labor Day of 2020, and then nothing. And so um, I switched to commercial glass, which was also hard hard to find, but at least it was available somewhere. And um, so we we switched and. Um, my pesto is still in um, in half pint mason jars, and I'm switching over to a, a bottle, eight ounce bottle for the hot sauce. Fantastic! Um, Are you going to be ready yeah. for massive retail distribution if it happens? Absolutely. Um, I've got my my web team um, polishing the site and uh, making it so all the shipping stuff happens seamlessly. Well, I'm also talking about local store stocking some shelves locally well you know we know some people and yeah so the um the, the stores that i'm very interested in um going into would be uh rubinette inside provador mm -hmm. um i'm talking with josh there about that we're in um crave caterings uh the feasting gather and feast farm um out in um in the center we're in their farm store so plate specialty grocery um I, um, I'm familiar with the, the phrase um, from apparel, which is affordable luxury. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we are. You know, it's, it's, you're not going to go through, um, you know, a jar of our pickles every week unless, you know, you can afford it. But, you know, these are, these are you know, special, amazing, locally sourced, handcrafted um products that are you know made with care by you know people who um you know who care about ingredients and care about flavor and um you know your your dollars are very well spent and you know we don't compete with bubbies or you know really anything you can find in a regular grocery store so um, gourmet grocery specialty sources uh where you'll find us fantastic well listen this has been one of those so we've been doing this a long time we're coming up on episode 300 and it is 
I, I don't know the percentage of times. You would know if you were doing this, you would know it was the exact percentage of times where I didn't actually know our guest before we came. So I didn't know what to expect. And I have to say, and I was feeling a little under the weather beforehand. This has been a pleasure to, to meet you and hear from you. You're a fascinating guy. There's a lot going there, going on, and that's why we kind of wended here and wended there, and that's okay. Um, I, I do feel that uh, anybody that's going to buy your product or meet you on the street or meet you at Homegrown Smoker is going to have a little better idea of what makes you up and uh, what makes you tick, and uh, that's the purpose of this podcast. So I really appreciate it, and I'm also hoping that we didn't really get into why your TV show, I'm sure it had something to do with financing, but maybe maybe Rob or Charlie or Robert is gonna hear this and, <laughs> and then you'll get some funding for your TV show. They certainly have the wherewithal to say, hey, let's bring our buddy along on this ride. I, I would very much appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, well let's I, hope. I well, you know, we don't know that they're gonna hear it, but it's, it's a fun thought, right? Thank you. Thank you. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right